welcome to season four of Unshushed, a podcast for teachers, librarians, and lovers of YA. I am Erin, an intermediate school librarian, and today I'm going to discuss Dress Coded by Carrie Firestone. My name is Laura. I am a high school librarian, and today I'm going to be reviewing The Box in the Woods by Maureen Johnson. Hi, I'm Darcy. I'm a middle school librarian, and I will be discussing Ordinary Hazards by Nikki Grimes. Hi, I'm Mindy Hutt, and I'm going to be talking about Red Wolf by Rachel Vincent, and I'm a high school librarian. Hey, this is Shirley. I'm a high school librarian, and I'm going to be discussing Ripper by Stefan Petrusha. Oh, can we maybe also mention that this is like our special um, Hurricane Nicholas slightly postponed edition (laughs) of uh, got, got season four kicked off a little later than we thought we were going to? Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, we're all here, though. That's, That's right. Yeah, we're we here. All made it. All right. So this is Laura, and I'm going to be kicking it off today with The Box in the Woods by Maureen Johnson. And I, first of all, want to say that this is a standalone book, but it's coming off the Truly Devious series. So there was a trilogy that she had written, which I have not read. However, Darcy has previously talked about it here on the podcast. And uh, I know several other of our podcast members have read it, which I'm really excited about to kind of talk about maybe some similarities or differences. But basically the story here is that Stevie, who was the heroine of the Truly the truly devious series successfully solved those crimes has been called by the camp owner of a camp called sunny pines which was previously known as camp wonder falls the reason stevie has been called to come and work at this camp and i put work in quotes which you can't see because you can't see me but i am doing it because really she doesn't have to be like a normal counselor her job is to dig around and try to solve this cold case from 1978 that happened at the camp uh, where basically a bunch of the um, counselors were killed and it's been a cold case all this time and the new owner uh, Conrad calls her in and basically he uh, has the vision to solve the crime but he also has um, some ulterior motives and he is making a podcast and obviously wanting that to make money that definitely rubs some of the town's people the wrong way because they feel like they've been reliving and reliving and reliving this crime over and over however stevie is able to make some inroads with the sister and the sister of who the sister of the one of the dead girls okay from 1978 And the sister's main request of Stevie is that she finds her journal. That's always been her uh, request of all the people that have come in trying to solve the crime because um, the, her sister was a very meticulous journaler and she has all of her journals except for her last journal, which she thinks is going to have the clues to the murders. So Stevie, um, after being kind of off put by Conrad and, bringing her in under not such ideal working circumstances and really forming a relationship with the sister. She changes her main mission to the sister's mission, not necessarily the podcast and solving the crime, but really to trying to find the journals. All right. So it's a very interesting, engaging story set in a summer camp. It has the same characters, uh, from my understanding, like Sunny's crew gets to come with her, like her friends, her boyfriend's invited, and they have to do like jobs, but they don't have to do the regular jobs. They get to do jobs that they want to do. So she's got her normal cast of characters in. It was a really good book. I have... One major complaint, and I honestly don't yet know if it's about my reading ability or the authorship of the book. Uh, I'm going to leave it open because I haven't reread it yet. But I did feel like when we got to the end, I hated the ending because it felt like 
all of a sudden she was pulling this and this and this and like, wait, what? Like that was not in the context, like not even like a super, my most intelligent version of myself could have figured that out, but maybe I was just really tired and I need to reread the book, but it definitely felt to me at the end. I'm like, okay, great. But what? And I didn't like that. I felt like all of a sudden it was just like, she was pulling loose ends, but it wasn't like she was pulling loose ends. She was just creating loose ends to be. Oh, like how every season of American Horror Story ends. Probably. I don't know if anyone watches that, but I every don't. season. Oh, I feel like every season they're like, no, no, no. Instead of let's tying everything up, they just start opening new windows that are never going to be resolved. That and not even opening new windows, but like the new windows were the answer to the case. But I'm mm. like, I just didn't. I don't know. I but was it, disappointed. It so it's all solved. Like everything's tied up at the end and done. Yeah. I mean, we know who killed. Right. The uh, only reason it I was Jason Voorhees. Because... We already knew who killed him. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, the only reason I asked is because the first two books in the Truly Devious series are total cliffhangers. Like nothing is resolved. Right. It just stops. At like I was so upset and I think uh, Shirley may remember like I was like oh my god I have to get the second book and she had it I and do. I like <laughs> left on a Friday and like drove over to her campus and grabbed it and came back <laughs> like that and, kind of cliffhanger yeah that. I was like you didn't do that yeah and definitely then I even not before I took the second one I was at Shirley's desk and I looked at the back which I don't ever do but I was like it cannot be as much of a cliffhanger and it looked like she had kind of closed it down the second one. And I was like, oh, score. OK, I can read this because the third one wasn't out yet. This is why I was bothered. Right. And then I read the second one and I'll be damned if it wasn't a complete cliffhanger <laughs> as well. And then I had to wait for the third book and then I was angry. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't actually finished the third book because I was too mad about having <laughs> two cliffhangers. And um, I'm one of those people like I want to read them in order because I once I've read like six other books in between a series, I'm like, wait, right. what? And and it's one of the ways that I found there's a really great website out there that helps you get caught up on series. And I can't think of the name of it, but I don't know if y'all have done this, but they give you like. It's going to be all of the um, what's the word for those things whenever you spoilers, spoilers. Thank you. All of the spoilers, everything in it, because it's trying to get you caught up for the next book in a series. So it's like, don't forget. And then this happened and this happened and these characters did this. And I was like, yes. So I could catch up to the third one. I felt the same way about the Scythe series when I got to the toll. By the time by that, it was so spread that came around. I was like, who did what? Oh. So um, I use that same site for that. But well, you uh, need to remember what I that is, because that. that's why I'm a series quitter, because I like I don't want to read 100 books and 100 different characters between two books that go together. Like, right. So I'm interested. I still want to read this. I want to finish the third book. It's actually on my nightstand and I keep putting other things on it. I think honestly, because I was angry about the cliffhanger situation, because I want something tied up like. Has anyone oh. read the third book of the series? No, I haven't finished it. I just am like, I, I have I'm just curious if it. her ending, if that's her MO, if she just at the end does a whirlwind or I am totally admitting to maybe I just read it tired and too fast. You know what right. I mean? Like it could be maybe I just need to reread it and then I would get everything in a second reading and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I do remember we're like with <laughs> I, I used to love Mary Higgins Clark books. Right. And when I'd get to the end, she always wraps everything up in the last like seven pages. Right. Which is amazing. But she wraps it up and I'm like, what? And then I'll go back and I'll be like, oh, yeah, she did here she did give me that and she did give me this year that kind of thing so i totally understand wanting to know is it throughout the book and i just missed it or did she just like oh and then this happened and now she's figured it all out yeah i'm gonna go ahead and give her credit just because everyone loves her and so i don't want to <laughs> be the one who <laughs> knocks her down but Peer pressure i definitely i would love to hear if if any of our readers read it i want them to get back with me and tell me if I was a bad reader 
or if the book just really didn't give enough hints? Well, the author that we had on here when we did mystery, what was her name? Kylie Shakti. Uh-huh. Yeah. What? Kylie Shakti. Thank you. Oh, nice. Nicely yeah, done. Thank there, you. I okay. do remember her saying that was part of her issue is when she had it all laid out, she wanted to make sure that the clues were not so obvious, but they were just enough that you didn't know it at the time, but at the end you're like, oh yeah. So I remember her talking about that being difficult. Hmm. So I can see that being hard. I still want to read it though. I, I have to release my anger for Maureen and just finish my Move series on. and then read. And I've heard really great things about that last, the book that you're talking about. What uh, the, the box in the, the woods, box right? in the woods. Yeah. It yeah, was really great things about it. It was really good. It was fast paced. It was totally something that students are going to like. I just, for me, it felt like, I don't know if Perry Mason did this. I, I don't know, but I felt like I was watching like some old crime show where then all of a sudden they were just like, and this and this and this. And you're like, what? what? Okay. All right. If you say so. Anyway, See, I think it sounded a little like Sadie meets Friday the 13th and you were describing it, which is like totally up my alley. So yeah, no, I recommend the book. That one on my to read list. Um, and, I, and I'd like some feedback from our listeners and I can take it if you just don't think I'm a very good reader. So <laughs> let me know. Hey, GL, it, would you call it a mystery? Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Because that's what genre it's in on my library. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Or is it adventure? No, we right. <laughs> don't do adventure. <laughs> Only so. in Mindy's library. Only no. in Mindy's library is it an adventure. The book I'm reviewing, though, is an adventure. Of course it is. Of course it is. Because that's all Mindy reads. No. Because everything. Well, okay, a little bit. Well, little bit. so I guess I'll go ahead and talk about my realistic fiction, um, not adventure story called Dress Coded by Carrie Firestone. Oh, yay. This is it's on the 2021 Lone Star list. It is Carrie Firestone's first middle grades novel. And after I read it, I immediately went to the public library and borrowed her book, The Loose Ends List for my Kindle. So I've, well, I read that on hurricane days off. Um, So I never got my hands on dress coded when I got it last year because, you know, we weren't doing interlibrary loan. And this one copy that I was able to afford had like a 10 person wait list on yeah. it. So yeah, I, really I had popular. kids that never got to it last year. I was kind of expecting it legit to just be like a middle school moxie. And it is a little bit, but there was a lot of other things in it and I really appreciated it. So dress coded follows the main character, Molly. She and several other girls have definitely taken issue with some of the dress code policies at their middle school. And so she has started a podcast called Dress Coded. So Dress Coded is the name of the book, but it's also the name of her podcast in which she is addressing the students of her school. And she is trying to like this is her way of making a stand against the dress code. And some of it happens when one of her really good friends basically one day is in the same outfit as her, but her friend gets called out for being out of dress code and Molly does not. And the main reason is that, you know, her friend, she's curvier. She's developed a little earlier and Molly is still like a flat chested, no hips girl. Who's just still kind of small. And she even realizes, she says, you know, we're wearing the same thing. And so why is it okay for me to walk around in this and not her? I really liked this book. I felt like it dug, um, it, it brought in a lot of very middle school problems. The The biggest issue that they have with the, the dress code is that They're like, why do you care so much? We were kids in elementary school and we basically got to wear whatever we wanted. No one cares what anyone at the high school wears. So why all of a sudden in these grades is what we're wearing to school problematic? It also works in like Molly's older brother who's in high school is he's kind of got like a vaping issue. Um, There is some body shaming and some bullying that's dealt with. 
Surely you will be glad to know that there is one at least helpful teacher, but look, I, I, I was, I, I was a little sad at first. Cause we don't really like, we know this teacher exists and we know she's around, but we don't really see that she's like the super supportive teacher and to like page 160. So, um, obviously most of the adults in the school are kind of out of touch. You know, there's, um, there's one administrator that they refer to as fingertip because that's the person that's always making you put your hands down to see how long your skirt is. I don't know. I, I, I was really rooting for the helpful librarian or teacher or someone who's, you know, going to be on their side and that kind of thing. And there was a little bit of that, not so much. I know that was a, a complaint that you had in Moxie. And one thing that I do love about the way that it is written is that the chapters are very short and some of them are podcast recordings. Oh, I and love so they're that. written as a script. And then some of them are letters and some of them, and it moves really fast. You know, it's one of those books where like, you think you're going to put it down and then you look and the next chapter is only like four pages. So you're mm-hmm. like, eh, I can read a little bit more. So I, that kind of thing for, especially for middle grade readers sometimes is really good. Watch us rise was the same thing. And I felt like I read through it so quickly because of the variation, like, Right now I'm reading, you know, it was like poetry and then it would switch to their blog posts and then it was the story and then it was back. It was varied and I loved it. And I felt same thing. I wanted to keep reading, especially because you're not locked into 12 or 15 pages. It's just two, three. I was like, oh, I can read this. And then, oh, I can read this. Next thing you know, you're done with the book. Yeah. Books with a lot of stopping points, I find are really good. Jennifer Nielsen's uh, both her historical fiction and her fantasy are like that. Her chapters are really short. So they're like, you know, you can just work in one more chapter. You don't look and you're like, oh, well, this next chapter is 30 pages and I don't have time to start this for now. So, right. Like you just kind of keep going with it. It's been a really popular book on my campus as well. What dress coded? Yes. Yeah. It's a very hot topic right now, for sure. it, It definitely is. And I know... Listeners can't see the cover, but the cover is really good. It's got a variety of people on it. It, It's a good little girl power book and stuff, too, Mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, a few years ago when I was teaching in a classroom, I read an article about how at that point, and this was like at least 10 years ago, but I'd read an article about how we were like a decade into reality shows that like pit women against each other to get a man at the end, you know, and that that is the example of female relationships that a lot of our girls grew up seeing on television. It made for a lot of drama. And so I, I really appreciate the girl group. Oh, I just hit my microphone. If it made a weird noise, I really appreciate like the girls banding together and the supportive women and you do you and all do you type stories that are coming out. I, I think it's, I think it's good. But you feminism. know what I've seen a lot too, is the kind of the idea of calling in Ari. someone. That's the, the idea of calling in someone too, where like, even in your friend group, you can mess up and it's okay to tell your friend like, Hey, don't forget about this or that, you know, and, and to help your friends to be better people too. even the people that you're working with. I, I did love that about watch us rise. I've heard that about this book. There's a couple other books recently um, that I showed my niece where it had the same thing where the, the girls are, they're lifting each other up, but they're also calling each other in and saying, Hey, you know, let's, let's be, uh, more open to this or don't forget about these people and that kind of stuff when they're struggling to to be more inclusive. And I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you looking out for me, Erin, uh, on the <laughs> on the adults. <laughs> it is true. And, and I suppose it's because that's who I am, that when I read a book in, in a school or someplace like that, um, where the adults are all cast negatively and unhelpful, it does bother me because that's not who I am and it's not who most of the teachers I know are and administrators. So, and of course there are bad guys in the world, but, and yeah, I do but you do up. need those supportive teachers in a story. And, and I think once you brought it up, that did bother me a little bit about Moxie because like Jen Matthews, is a teacher. So she is, but I kind of feel like, uh, if I'm really honest, how many people am I really being that for at any given time? And I hope the answer is some. 
Like, I, I feel like I can confidently say the answer is some. I definitely can't say I'm being that person for everyone. And I definitely think there are kids who don't have that relationship with anybody. I don't think it's unrealistic. I think a lot of our kids really, really do go through and it's our jobs. And I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here for sure, but like we, we have kids just falling through the cracks and that's just real. I don't know that it's right to always have, you know, that positive savior figure because that person doesn't exist for everybody for sure. I don't think. Okay, so I, I mean, I can certainly concede that GL, but I think that, and I'm not saying that the adult has to save the day in any form or fashion in any novel narrative, but uh, I do want, in general, kids to know that there are adults who will help them if they feel alone. When I see that represented in a book, I feel like that's sending that message to kids who are reading that book that maybe there's an adult in your life who can help you if you need one. So I guess that's where I come from. Not that I think every adult should be positive and every adult should uh, save the day. Cause I don't think the adult should save the day if they, if the main characters are children, <laughs> you know, but I want them to have the message somewhere in their subconscious that maybe an adult can help me if I need help. I see where you're coming from. And I mean, I definitely think it's something that we all strive for, but I think in reality, there's room for both. But I, I mean, I, you know, obviously we want kids to know they can come to us and that we're not all part of the machine all the time. But a lot of us are part of the machine a lot of the time. And we need to be reflective on that too, I think. That's of course. Point. Yeah, that's a good point. Because um, yeah, I think some people don't, and, and maybe it's only for a short period of time, but it's a pivotal point of time where they feel like they don't have support from someone. And um, that leads really well into Ordinary Hazard by Nikki Grimes. This is a memoir that she's written in verse. And uh, Nikki is definitely let down by the adults in her life. Oh, over and over. Yeah. And uh, her mother has paranoid schizophrenia and is an alcoholic. And her father, who is seemingly a very good person, basically abandons her and her sister because the mother's operating as a single mother. She tries to get some help, uh, you know, to take care of her children and that help ends up abusing her children. And the mom doesn't necessarily listen either when they speak out. So it is a, it's a beautiful book. It's a very hard read. There's a lot of pain Nikki and her sister, Carol, are very close when when the book starts out and um, they're forced to be separated because of the foster care system. And they're in the foster care system because the mother just can't keep it together. So this is like a memoir. It is a memoir. It is a memoir. And I love how Nikki Grimes describes the memoir. She's like, this may not all be completely factual. But this is the way that I remember it. And my memories are fractured because of the abuse that she sustained. And she talks about that in the memoir. And and she talks about like the mystery of memory is what she calls it. And she has a, a couple different verses um, or actual poems, uh, you know, the mystery of, of memory one and two. And I think there's a third one. Anyways, it's not a memoir of her entire life. It is really her childhood there is a teacher in there too that that does help her and encourages her and makes a huge difference and that's real that's not a made-up teacher right and that's a real teacher and you know it really she talks about how she would go home and she's like crafted this card for her mother and she'd see that the card's been opened and she'd be like oh did you get my poem and the mom's like oh yeah um, are you going to school or, you know, I mean, it completely dismissive. And it made me reconsider like every time my children talk to me about something that they've done where I have the expect, yeah, like, of course you did that. That's who you are or whatever, you know, and just stopping and saying, I did see that. That was really great. Thank you for sharing it with me, you know, 
and uh, paying attention because of the just the constant micro traumas really, you know, in trying to please her mother and connect with her mother and that kind of thing. I mean, it is an extraordinarily moving book. I do love too that there's this backdrop of the civil rights era that's going on. And even though her mother uh, had schizophrenia and her mother was an alcoholic, she was also a reader and she also gave books to Nikki and her father who comes back into the picture much later but is so important and just stop there and just so important to her life and her sister's life. He gave her the arts really. And he introduced her to lots of important African-American authors and artists in New York, you know, during the time that she was growing up and gave her the opportunity to present her poetry and to encourage her to continue as a poet and a writer I really loved it. I, I loved all the books too. I've read the vast majority of the books that were presented to her. And there were a couple more in there that I wanted to go back and have a look at because I haven't read them in 20 something years. And um, the fact that she took the time to mention them makes me want to go back and read them again. And I also want to mention that she talked about librarians and the library as uh, a bit of her savior as well. So I got that book last year. Uh, obviously, I wanted to read it because the cover is beautiful. I love just the black cover with the butterfly and everything on it. And it was one of those books that I just didn't get around to last year for some reason. And I kept asking myself, I'm like, how come I haven't read this? It's in, it's in verse. You know, I right. can knock one of those down really fast. But it did take me a while to read because I was hanging on to a lot of her words and because it's her real story, her reality, not, you know, a fictional sure. uh, made up story. But I'll be honest, one of the main reasons that I was inspired to pick it up at the beginning of this school year is because a lot of Texas schools are starting to take it off the shelf. So, of course, I was like, well, now I need to know why. And I don't. Do you know why? I I still I, don't know why I can't figure it out. Um, so Kirkus puts it at 12 to adults and there are some, I mean, obviously there's trauma and there's sexual assault that is recorded in here, but it's done in a way where I think it's appropriate to have it at an intermediate school. Yeah. And I wouldn't book talk it with a sixth grade class, no, but I have no, it on my shelf. Yeah. And I think that the, the kids that are enduring this would appreciate knowing that they're not alone and that um, you can get through it and hopefully you know to reach out to someone to talk to someone about it as well um, Nikki herself ended up just getting stronger and more determined and thicker skinned and got to a place where she felt confident to stand up for herself and defend herself. But she also saw what it did to her, which was obviously not, it's, it's not a good thing, <laughs> obviously. And, um, but that moment too was, was really pivotal. And I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to give that part away, but you do see uh, strength and growth and a little bit of fear even in what it's done to her and what it could result in if she didn't get a, a positive way to work through it. Yeah. And I feel like she's kind of also saying in this book a little bit that the arts helped save her life, Absolutely. you know, several times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do like when she mentions that she was determined to be what the first singer, dancer, actress, writer. She's like, but no one told me that Maya Angelou had already done that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I did love that. And I did. Uh, there was a portion where she was coming down the elevator and she describes the author that um, because when the elevator doors open, like he's mobbed and she asked her dad, who is that? And he's like, oh, it's a famous uh, author. But the, through the description, I was like, it's got to be James Baldwin. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, uh, sure enough. It was. Anyway, so I would I would recommend it for sure for high school libraries. And I have it on my shelf and I recommend it for intermediate libraries, but do know that there is trauma and abuse 
it could be difficult for some of our readers. Agreed. I loved it. But yeah, and I'm glad to have it on my shelf as well. Um, So the book that I was going to talk about today is Red Wolf by Rachel Vincent. You were talking about how telling our students, you know, there's like a little bit of a warning or whatever. So, but for this book, I noticed in School Library Journal, it does say 10th grade and up, but it says at the last little bit, it says, give this to dark fantasy fans who relish disturbing ethical decisions and are unfazed by blood and gore. But like, that's not at all what I, I would not read a book like that. And so if I had read that last line, I never would have picked up the book. But from me, having already read the book, I don't really think that that's true. It must have been for the reviewer um, because they thought that. But I'm. I feel like that description might lure me in a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't really think that most of the kids I, I would guess where I put it. Well, you said it's adventure. It's an adventure. Yeah, for sure. Because it's a very exciting adventure story. But I guess some people might put it in horror. But it is basically a retelling of the little Red Riding Hood story. It starts with the main character. Her name is Adele. And she is 16. And she enjoys her little provincial life, which I thought was interesting because Belle never enjoyed her provincial life um, in Beauty and the Beast. But Adele definitely did. She has a boyfriend that she's had forever and they're going to get married and it's going to be fabulous and they're going to have children and her best friend is going to live next door and they're all going to be best friends forever. But that is not her reality or what her history of um, family members is going to lead her to do. There are wolves and um, it is a female trait that is passed down the line and she doesn't know it but her grandmother um, who does live in the woods so that part of the lore is still there in that story and her mother are both turn into red wolves there's a big difference between a red wolf and a white wolf in this book Um, but she turns into a red wolf and defends the whole community against the monsters that live in the woods. And she knows there are monsters in the woods and she doesn't go there. And um, she thinks that the monsters are being kept away by the guardians who live um, and are the men who try to defend the town. But the men don't even know that it's that how bad the monsters actually could be because the women um, wolves keep saving them so she doesn't understand why her mother doesn't want her to marry the um, son of the head guardian because obviously they are the strong people defending their town against the monsters Um, but then when she um, unexpectedly becomes a wolf herself she she is told of her heritage and that she is a wolf her father actually was burned at the stake So I was surprised that she thought it was such a wonderful place that she wanted to live forever, but because he had been bitten by a wolf and so was going to turn into a wolf. And her mother let him burn because he would have been a bad wolf and potentially attacked the village. So it is like a true thing throughout the story that if you are bit by a wolf, then you'll become one of the white wolves, one of the bad wolves that do attack the village. She does go into the woods to meet her grandmother, and she has a nice cottage in the woods type feel, which is nice. Um, and, but her grandmother will not come to town, and that's because she is so busy defending the town um, that she doesn't even want to go there. Um, but a she unbeknownst to her has been promised in marriage to a man who is the son of another guardian wolf not guardian wolf red wolf and so she is super mad because that's not her plan um she's totally gonna marry this awesome guy and live next door to her best friend she is supposed to go with the man that she has never met and go defend his village she thinks that that's ridiculous she's not going to do that and 
she's still trying to get her mother to like her boyfriend. The mother ne never likes the boyfriend. Um, and once she meets the guy that she is supposed to marry, um, he ends up um, being the person that, you know, she is growing more and more fond of because he knows her secrets and he can help her defend the defend against the monsters. So there are lots of other things with um, kids and trying to defend them against the woods. And so um, it is definitely an adventurous story. Um, it is a retelling, but it is not a it doesn't have as solid a trope as some retellings do. You feel like, okay, I've already heard this story. There is enough in this story that barely really resembles it at times. So it is a much more exciting, um, I don't know, maybe horror, but I, I don't, I wasn't filled with horror as I read it. I think 10 and up is probably I mean, 10th grade and up um, is probably okay. So I think some of your eighth graders may like the book. Um, there isn't anything in it that um, sexually that's a problem or cussing that's a problem. It's violence. That would be the problem. And so it depends on the child's family and their background and what they um, consider inappropriate really. But I liked it. I recommend it. I can't wait to recommend it to other kids. Um, we do have other books by Rachel Vincent. Um, and they're not all in mystery. Some of them are mystery. We have one in paranormal. And so they're in different genres throughout. So I really didn't know how many books we had by her because they're all in different genres, which is sometimes a problem. She has more books coming out. This book just came out this summer but she has other new ones coming out with different a different heroine who is not the standard strong heroine. Heroine? No, still not saying that right. Her no. It's like heroine. the drama like heroine. heroine. Yeah, I don't want to talk about heroine. I want to talk about heroines. No, I don't know. Anyway, no, my friends are shaking their head and no at me. Anyway, I think that... Um, her new book without a strong main character would be kind of an interesting thing to try since the other books, she's definitely the main character is strong female um, fighter. I enjoyed it. So I'm really glad you brought this up, Mindy, because I feel like in my high school library, I have so many fairy tales retold Yeah, that I, I sort of shy away from them now unless they have starred reviews or some redeeming thing in their in their reviews and I looked up this book after you said you were going to talk about it and I had bypassed it in my orders probably for that reason so um, you're like you talked about it kids don't want to know about Little Red Riding Hood but it's only the very tip of what the actual story is about so I feel like some of the retellings, though, are getting a little more violent. Like for yeah. a while, they were all just kind of sci-fi takes on things because I just read. Was it Stepsister by Jennifer Donnelly last year? And it that was gross. It, I quit. It, it, I quit it had some it. gruesome stuff in it. So <laughs> I don't know. I think that like that's how everyone's like, OK, I have this fairy tale and I want to retell it. I'm just going to make it bloody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and of course, the original fairy tales were. Yeah, that's true. Very yeah. much like that. So, yeah. Heartless by Marissa Meyer was kind of like that, too, that it was a little bit more on like the gory, gruesome side, violent side than like the Cinder series was or anything. So or Luna Chronicles, whatever those are called. I tell yeah. my daughter's gory retelling <laughs> like I just make up stuff at night <laughs> instead of like sweet little like we start with a bunny and then it gets really dark <laughs> like, I'm like, once upon a time there was a bunny and they're like oh god <laughs> uh but anyway yeah i my students like them uh but i think you're right it's the gore part but it's interesting that that this was called a a romance wasn't it mindy yeah i mean there's definitely romance in it and you're readers who are looking for romance will find it but it's not so much that the kids who hate romance i think they'd still be fine reading it okay well it's interesting that they said 10th and up i guess just because of the gore yeah yeah that's, that's a pretty high age of. range yeah i don't see that on a lot of things did you say but that school library journal yes 
Yeah, I've seen a lot of 11th and up. I've not seen a lot of 10th and up. That's just a random break. Kirkus review is probably like, it's good for kindergarten. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, the Kirkus says 14 to 18 year olds. Oh, okay. and so. But I mean, you can be 14 in the eighth grade. So. Yeah, right. you can. They're like, Kirkus is like, let them read. <laughs> All right. Well, that's cool. It does not sound like something that I would necessarily read because I don't do the whole like all the wolves and stuff. I think I've been scarred since Twilight, but (laughs) um, there are some aspects of it that sound really interesting. And I know that my students would definitely enjoy that. And why read when you make up your own horror stories every night, right? right? Why don't you publish them? Come on. What are you doing? They're, in they're pretty dark. <laughs> in picture books. They're too dark for publishing. <laughs> we need to make Dennis, graphic novel. Like, pulling out teeth to make his wife a necklace. And, you know. That's nice. You definitely will get published. Yeah. Your so children will definitely be scarred. They probably will. That's okay. I'm like, just don't babysit and try to share your stories with the little kids. Okay. <laughs> That's why Brooks right. loves them coming over. They tell her all the dark story. And I don't really know if they do or not. Brooks would probably beat my my dark stories. Brooks oh. is probably like, oh, I, I can one up that one. So I we'll wouldn't be surprised that she would try. <laughs> OK, so speaking speaking yeah, of dark, have, <laughs> uh, my book is called Ripper and it's uh, it's a mystery, though it is set in the in the 1800s. When the story opens, um, and actually, before I start that, I wanted to say that this is not a new book. It's a reasonably old book. And um, I picked it up because in my library, one of the things I do is I write a recommendation bookmark every time I read a book. And then that bookmark goes in the book on the shelf. And I was walking through the library this summer, and I went, oh, I don't have very many bookmarks in mystery. So I walked through mystery and pulled off a bunch of books to read. So that's why I'm just now reading this, even though it is a, a, a it's a, it's a nine-year-old copyright. It's from, I think it's from 2012, I think, or 13, but I'm really glad I read it. That's why I'm talking about it today. And it has this really, I really like the cover on it. It says Ripper across the top and it has kind of a James Bond guy running in the middle, but the, it has a map of New York right here, an old fashioned map of New York, sort of behind the word Ripper. And um, it's really interesting to just look at, well, maybe it's because I'm a map person, but um, I really like, I like the cover. I think Surely, it's a good cover. I'm a total map person. I'm a map I never person saw, too. I never saw the map in that. And I have recommended that book a hundred times. I'm a cover person and I've never noticed the map on there. <laughs> <laughs> so is that like Manhattan? With- yeah. I mean, it's the, it's yeah. the island of New York. Yeah. Right. So, all right. Anyway. Set in the 1800s, this story opens in an orphanage, and this, the, there are lots of kids in the orphanage. The main character's name is Carver, and I have to admit, lately I've been trying to read more books with male protagonists, main characters, because I'm, I'm a little tired of the tough chick saves the day MO, which is a, in a lot of uh, books these days, and I've read lots of them, so... I'm trying to read more books with male protagonists, not only so I can recommend great books to kids, but just for my own personal benefit. So the main character in this one is Barber. And in this orphanage, the, the, in the opening chapters of this book, they're celebrating that the orphanage is going to have a new location. Somebody is moving them to a better place. It's going to be nicer, all of those things. And then at, after the party is over, they tell the three main characters, Carver, Delia, and Finn, who are all uh, teenagers, that the new place is only going to take people who are 12 and younger. So these three kids are going to get cut loose into New York City with nobody uh, to love them. And so the really sweet um, caretaker at the orphanage is trying her best to find families to adopt the three of them so that they're not just ending up in the gutters somewhere. Roaming the streets of New York by themselves. Yeah, right. So, and she, and she, for Finn is um, Carver's arch enemy in the orphanage. And Finn is adopted by a 
prominent politician type who wants a token son to stand by him in all the pictures. And it's a really miserable situation for him, but it's of course better than being on the street. Delia is adopted by a nice family and ends up working at the newspaper. And Carver is adopted by this crotchety old man who is vague and angry and a little puzzling. And, you know, you're wondering at the time in this book, why is he bothering to adopt this kid? Because he clearly doesn't like children (laughs) or anyone really. But then you learn that his name is Detective Hawking and he is um, part of the Pinkertons in New York City at this time. They're called, I think they believe they call them the New Pinkertons because the, of the history behind the way the Pinkertons sort of went out of business. This Detective Hawking and another man are trying to hold the Pinkertons together. And so he, he um, adopts Carver and he, when he takes him to where he lives, he actually lives um, in an insane asylum, <laughs> an insane asylum there in New York City. Uh, however, it's, it's by choice. And um, it's just really, really interesting how that all unfolds, um, why he lives where he lives. And is that part of things. the story? Or can it, you... it is. Oh, yeah, okay. I can't tell you. So he lives in this insane asylum, which is really puzzling. And he takes Carver to the new Pinkertons. So what you learn there at the beginning of the story is that nobody knows the Pinkertons exist. That they're this underground, they have an underground lair. And it's very steampunkish, which I kind of like. You know, I really love steampunk. Even though I wouldn't call this a steampunk book, they do have some kind of interesting out-of-time gadgets and things going on uh, during the story. And so I really, I really enjoyed that piece of it. I just, I love, I'm a steampunk lover. I love steampunk. If I, I'm just trying to figure out how I can have a steampunk section in my library. I really, really want to move on my steampunk one place for people like me. But anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I was like, I don't know that I have enough of those that would make a whole section, but that trend was like, it was trendy for a while. I just haven't noticed it lately, but if you're out seeking them out, I'm sure you know more about current steampunk novels than I would. I really do like them. So um, Detective Hawking takes him down to the Pinkertons and a couple of detectives take him under their wing and he becomes a full-fledged 14-year-old Pinkerton detective and he wants to solve his own mystery before he left the orphanage he thought both of his parents were dead but the night before he left he went and broke into the orphanage office and looked in a file his file and found a letter from his dad in his file and so now he's determined to find his father well detective Hawking has him working on another project because there is a serial killer in New York And that's where Ripper comes in. You might be wondering, why is this story called Ripper? (laughs) Um, I don't know how aware you are of the history behind the real Jack Ripper, who, who of course was in London, but there are many people who feel that the real live Jack the Ripper went to New York and was uh, there sometime after his time in London. So this story, story kind of picks up that thread that Jack the Ripper is now that they believe in New York City. And so his the whole story sur- is surrounding his dual search for his father on one side and his search for Jack the Ripper on the other side. And the author does a brilliant job of molding, meshing the two together. So the characters in this story are awesome. And I really like the character of Teddy Roosevelt, who is the police commissioner in this story. And he is a real character, much like what they say about the real Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, and so his his character sort of takes on a life of its own in this story just because you really like hearing about him because he's, he's funny and quirky and uh, all of these things. But so he's the police commissioner in this story uh, before he was president. And so he he's a big part of the story. And the mysteries sort of end up, as you might imagine, wrapping together who is his father and how are they going to catch this guy, Jack the Ripper in New York. And it has 
a ton of great twists and turns and good guys who are bad guys and bad guys who are good guys. And um, it moves pretty fast. It was a good pace. And I just, I really enjoyed it. I decided to talk about it today. It, it, you could call it an adventure story. You could call it historical fiction. But I think the main theme is going to be mystery. And I do yeah. think it's appropriate for intermediate as well as high school. It sounds really good. I don't have it. And so now I'm like, gosh, maybe I should have gotten that. <laughs> I think that's it was what interlibrary library. loan it's for. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I think it might have been a junior library guild back in the day uh, selection. I feel like it was something because when I got here eight years ago, there were three copies of it on my shelf. Usually if there's multiple copies, it was Lone I don't know, Stars. Lone Star, um, Junior Library Guild, popular, turned into a movie, you know, one of those kind of things. <laughs> I also buy multiple copies of books that I recommend a ton, like whether or not it's won awards, like it's one's my award. Yeah, but like you, you don't know at first if you're going to recommend it a lot if you haven't right. read it yet. Right. <laughs> So she buys them after she reads it. That's when you get those paperback copies. Ripper has been very popular on my campus as well. And I recommend it when I'm talking about historical fiction, too. Which is probably kids, often. Right. All the time. <laughs> but and it, uh, when our kids want historical fiction, but they don't want to look in the historical fiction section, sometimes we'll talk about Ripper. Do you think that it, works okay, Shirley? I, I do. And I yeah. uh, um, in fact, this does have a character and gadget glossary at the end. Oh, so, cool. um, which uh, I find, you know, again, uh, I like it. I, the gadgets intrigue me always, I, no matter what the story is. <laughs> Sometimes I love the gadgets more than the story. <laughs> I like that in but, uh, Sherlock stories, too. The, the science, you know, and, and the little right. things that they may use to figure out something. I love that part. And yeah. I think I always admire the authors that are able to incorporate information like that in their books because you know they really had to do research to be able to like how brilliant was um what's Walter the Ray. author of sherlock conan arthur conan doyle yeah thank you uh, arthur conan doyle yeah how brilliant was he to be able to come up with all of those things and to solve it the way that he did i love stuff like that. so that should be your next mystery read yeah one. and i lied i did find it it just doesn't look like your copy oh so i was just looking for ripper and i was trying to find that copy but i it's very similar i might pick it up because it is mystery here all right i so don't have it but that was before i was a librarian so we'll blame the other lady <laughs> <laughs> the other lady the other the other librarian all right well so are we at our end for the post hurricane edition of Anxious. Uh, it does seem that way, or we're definitely starting this school year and this season off interestingly. I guess <laughs> a whirlwind, if you will, <laughs> a literal uh, whirlwind. <laughs> Always exciting. That's right. All right. Well, we'll be back um, in a month for episode two of Unshushed. See y'all later.